Hey guys, welcome to the Warrior Project podcast. My name is Emmeline. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, growth and development consultant, and a spiritual mentor. And I'm Katie, a nurse, wellness junkie, and bestie to M. We're basically here to chat about everything mind, body, and soul, because everything is connected and nobody tells you that. Everything that we discuss, society does not teach you. So buckle up and get ready to have your mind expanded. Hey guys, we've got a trigger warning on today's podcast. Uh, We do discuss drug use, addiction, and eating disorders. So if this is something that is still a sensitive topic for you, maybe just be mindful of that. Hey fam, we are back. And today, Katie and I are chatting about addictions. Addiction. We're back to a nice heavy one. A nice heavy one. We had a light one. Now we're back to a heavy one. So obviously you guys know that Katie is a nurse, so... Katie has more of a clinical neurological perspective on addiction. Um, I have more of a real life experienced version of addiction. But I mean, Katie and I have both had our own experiences with disordered eating, which embodies binge eating, which is an addictive behavior. Mm, definitely. And Katie has experienced that as well. So, but for those of you who don't know much about my story, um, apart from experiencing battles with bulimia, I also had a short bout of uh, meth and I was also a smoker. So it's funny, I remember when I gave up smoking, um, I was chatting to Katie about it and I just said to Katie, yeah, no, I quit smoking. And she was like, what, cold turkey? What do you mean? And I was like, no, no, like I woke up. The other day, I was just like, I'm not a smoker. She literally just woke up one morning and decided she didn't smoke anymore. Can we tell them about the glove? I was actually, <laughs> I was looking at you and I was thinking, is she going to let the glove go? You, you can share the glove. Okay. Oh my God. So, okay. So, Emmeline has been like a closet smoker. So, if, if you used to train with Emmeline. Oh God. She used to smoke. And I, I was actually really shocked when she told me because... You know, like, she's all about health and wellness and all that sort of shit. And obviously, smoking is kind of counterintuitive to that. And so, she started telling me how she, f- like, goes full Kath and Kim and literally wears, like, <laughs> you know, one of those, like, a yellow rubber glove. It's a pink, pink rubber a dish pink glove. rubber dish glove. <laughs> She'd literally wear that and go outside and have a smoke. That way, the smell wouldn't get on her hands. She wouldn't stain her nails. And I was pissing myself just envisioning her wearing this fucking glove, having a dart out the back. Like, and I, and I looked at her and I was like, what are you doing? Like, what is your life? And it probably wasn't long after that where you, you just woke up and were like, I don't smoke anymore. Yeah. And it's so funny. This... I stopped uh, like a couple months after another, I experienced another spiritual ascension. Spiritual fucking. Another spiritual fucking. <laughs> um, but that's not to say you need to have spiritual fuckings to beat addictions. Mm-hmm. It's literally, look, I should probably put in a disclaimer. Like I'm not a doctor at all. I have just lived a lot of different experiences and come out on the other side. And then a lot of the tactics and strategies and things that I've learned and developed I then teach them to other people and it works for them too. Um, But basically, addiction comes down to, I think, two core things. Number one, what is your internal dialogue? 
what is your story? What are you saying to yourself? And then number two, what distraction is that addiction fueling? So addiction is, it's a distraction. It's fueling distraction. Mm -hmm. So what is that addiction distracting you from? So for example, if I'm to relate it back to my, you know, short bout of an experience with meth, I was taking meth because, and doing meth, because I didn't want to sit with the uncomfortable feelings of self-loathing, self-hatred, and just the, the internal dialogue that I had at that time about how much I hated myself, hated my life. I was very suicidal and I, I just wanted to numb everything out. I did not want to feel Mm -hmm. and I did not want to think and I did not want to face life. And I got into it whilst I was at uni. So I would quite often get high and then just not sleep and would just do uni work or I would go and train or I'd stay up all night in my room just doing random shit. And I was just constantly either high or I was coming down and then getting high again and same thing happened I just woke up one morning and was just like fuck I'm not this um, isn't me this isn't me I'm not actually a meth head like this is not Mm. me and yeah same thing cold turkey as well um and I think that it depends on the addiction and it depends on the circumstances in your life Mm -hmm. and it depends on what you're distracting yourself from yeah so like addiction primarily is you're trying to fill some sort of void yeah and as we sort of had discussed like off air there is a genetic component to addiction so some people are more Mm. likely to become addicts than others so some people they might not ever smoke or drink yeah um some people probably just can't relate but for others who do have um addictive personalities it can be like a real struggle because they are constantly filling that void with whatever their drug of choice is. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, like we make it sound easy. Like I just woke up one morning and now I'm not a smoker. Now I'm not addicted to meth, but like yeah. there's a lot of work that went on as well as that, like your internal dialogue. Yeah. You had to tell yourself constantly like, no, this is not who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. And I think, See, it's weird because with the smoking and the meth, it was literally mm. a, I woke up one morning and this decided, I made a conscious decision yes. to not be that. But if I relate it to bulimia, which is a form of addiction, mm. it wasn't that. It was more progressive than that. Mm. It was a lot more, it was a lot more of a long-term progressive transition because I was having to sit with uncomfortable feelings a lot more frequently when I was overcoming bulimia than what I was with the substances, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. And I, as we said off air, obviously you can't abstain from food. Yeah, exactly. Whereas substances like, you know, smoking and drugs, you don't need those things to survive. No. The... A few years prior to the meth, I was addicted to ephedrine. And I did that, oh, wow, probably that was like a four or five month stint. And that was a progressive 
that was progressive to come off as well Mm -hmm. because I was just relying on it so much to just feel good. Um, And I actually replaced, wow, now that I think about it, shit, I haven't made this connection before. I replaced the ephedrine with the bulimia. So it was still a form of self-loathing, self-destruction, self-punishment, distraction, not wanting to sit with feelings of, fuck, I feel like a piece of shit and I just wasn't ready to dive deeper and figure out where it's come from. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think I wanted to admit to a lot of the shames that I felt. Like I didn't want to admit that I felt that way. It's interesting you say that because I think that a lot of people just, they do replace one addiction with another. So for those of us who do have those types of personalities... You, you literally are just substituting, you know, more socially acceptable addictions instead of doing mess. Like, yeah. What What was the sort of timeline between you? Like, when did you start smoking? What triggered that? Um. So in twenty thirteen, that was probably my most hectic mental year um, during my experience with mental illness. Mm-hmm. So my mum and I sort of were chatting about this the other day and I think the mental illness stuff was very very hectic from the age of 19 to 26 right so 20 uh, by the time I was 26 I was sort of like a new version of myself and I'm 29 now yeah so for those seven years it was quite bad and 2013 was right in the middle of it and that was the year that I deferred from my double degree. So that was the year that I fucked off to Bali mm-hmm. to live for a little bit by myself mm-hmm. um, and that was the year that I went to Karatha. So when I went to Karatha, I lived there for a couple of months and I did concreting with my cousin mm-hmm. and everyone up there smoked. Mm-hmm. So I felt uncomfortable not smoking, so I wasn't solid enough in myself to just say, nah, I don't smoke, like, I'm good. I was like, yeah, okay. So I started to smoke while I was up there, and then it became I would wake up in the middle of the night from a night terror, okay, I'm going to go have a smoke. Mm -hmm. So then it became like it was filling a void of a – it's still – I mean – just the fact that I felt uncomfortable standing and doing nothing and I chose to smoke, that in itself is a distraction. So what, mm-hmm. like, what, why can't I just stand there and chill and do nothing? Why do I have to smoke? Yeah. So it then became this on-again, off-again sort of habit and I noticed that when I was going through periods of time when I really needed to sit still and connect with consciousness and spirit that's when I smoked again because I wouldn't do that so rather than me sitting and meditating or getting introspective and tuning my energy inward Mm -hmm. I would go outside and have smoke because that's giving me something to do yeah um and I think I think addiction is a very multi-layered social issue because I feel like people's addictions can be genetic. People's addictions can stem from lots of different reasons Mm -hmm. and they can end for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And in terms of mine, like I said, the, the meth and the smoking, that was a, I woke up one day and decided consciously, nah, that's not me. That's not me. Um, 
but obviously with the bulimia, it was very different. It was more of the self-loathing and the self-hatred, I think, was just way too prominent for me to... I think I was relying on the bulimic behaviour more than smoking and meth. Yeah. So I think I thought, okay, I can get rid of these substances, but with the bulimia, I was like, no, no, this is... this is That like, was quite deeply rooted. Yeah, I was like, no, yeah. it, it actually... And it actually... And I've said this to my clients who have experienced disordered eating. The bulimia became such a massive part of my identity that when I started to actively focus on recovery and I started to actively become more intuitive and I shifted my focus and started to recover, when I realized that I was recovering and didn't need it, and at first it was shameful for me to admit this, I was actually upset that I was no longer a bulimic. Mm. So there was a massive part of me that felt grief, that felt emptiness, and that felt loss. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of, um, not quite peer pressure, but lots of sort of social groups around addiction. Like, you know, like you were saying, you're around a lot of smokers, so you started yep. smoking. People go to the pub, around a lot of drinkers, drinkers. they start drinking. Yeah. Were you surrounded by a lot of other people who had disordered eating or were you part of any, like, online communities where that was a thing? Nah, I mean, the disordered eating, as we discussed in the first episode, podcast episode, started, you know, years ago when I was a a teenager and was hyper aware of my weight. But I think when I did the bodybuilding comp, I was surrounded by basically every single girl had a disordered approach to eating. Mm -hmm. So it became the new norm. Mm -hmm. But I think when I developed bulimia, it's a bit more taboo. It's a bit more secret, a bit more private. So I wasn't actively hanging around with people that had similar behaviours to me. In fact, I I isolated myself more. Right. So I was, I think, because I felt... A lot of shame yeah and a lot of embarrassment so I sort of I isolated more and that's why I think I developed such a strong bond I'm using like little my fingers in air quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> that's why I think I developed this strong bond with this behavior it became it became my everything mm. I was feeling stressed I'd go do it anxious I'd go do it and I would receive this temporary feeling of release of emptiness of not calm but just nothing and that when when I recovered and when the behavior I realized was like oh I'm not even like my consciousness shifted and I was like I'm not even that person I felt like I had lost like a part of me and I felt like I had lost a fucking friend like I felt like something that was just always there for me to rely on. It was a bit yep. of a crutch almost. Yeah, 100%. That was your coping mechanism. Yeah, and that's only because I didn't know at the time that I could turn my energy inward and meditate mm-hmm. and focus on spirit and, you know, intuition and, and all of those things. And that behaviour just was a distraction from 
all the work that I didn't want to do on myself. Mm-hmm. Because realistically, every time I felt sad or anxious or depressed or suicidal, I didn't sit with it. No. I reverted to that behavior. And it's interesting, there was a point in my life where I tried to reason with myself and I thought, the only reason that you know, bulimia is perceived as bad is because of society. It's not bad. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was like, you can actually live with this for the rest of your life. Like, why can't you? Why can't you? Like you can, it's only bad because people think it's gross, but really that's just society and culture. And I got so close to just accepting, I'm just going to be like this This for the rest of my life. Wow. And I was like, I don't see a way out. I don't know how I'm ever going to not have this. Like wow. if, if I can't u- utilize and recruit this to release stress and to self-soothe and to deal with shit, what the fuck else do I have? I have nothing. So what was the turning point for you? When did, when did that sort of switch go off in your brain that like, actually this is a problem and I can't do this forever? What triggered that? Because, like, you've told me a few stories of, like, what's what changed your mind with, like, meth and smoking. But, like, what about the bulimia? Because that's probably the biggest addiction you've come against. Hmm. There wasn't a defining point with that. There were okay. – it just was something that – okay. So the more spiritual and emotional and uh, self-development work I did on myself – in terms of raising my vibration, raising my self-awareness, approaching myself from a place of love and curiosity rather than hate and shame, Mm -hmm. I noticed that when I was doing more and more and more of that work, as as an inevitable byproduct of that work, the bulimic tendencies started to happen less and less. Mm-hmm. So there were larger gaps of time in between episodes. Mm-hmm. So I noticed I was like, I would go a week. Then I went two weeks. Then I went a month. And then it was two months. And then it was three months. And then it was, fuck, I don't remember the last time I did that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just, it went away as a an inevitable, indirect response to me ultimately addressing my feelings of self-hatred and Mm self-loathing because now the version of myself that I am now, I can't even imagine doing that to myself. Yeah. And it makes me emotional to even think that I used to do that to myself. Yeah. And I just can't fathom it. And do you still now, do you still have any ED thoughts? Because the girls that I've spoken to who have had like eating disorders like they've constantly got this like thing on their shoulder in the back of their head, like, you know, trying to get them to engage in that behavior again, but you've just yep. got to be conscious of telling it to fuck off really. Look, it's rare, like because of all the work I've done, majority of the time I do have a quiet mind, mm-hmm. which means, you know, when I'm by myself, my thoughts aren't really racing. I'm more so kind of just chilling by myself or, whatever task I'm doing, my mind will be on that task. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rarely during times of immense stress to do with, I don't know, anything, sometimes the voice is there and, like, 
it's not like a voice. It's like a separate entity. It's like a separate entity right. that is still sort so of. It's not you anymore. Like it's you not separated me. That. Yeah, it's not me. It's a layer of my conditioning that is still in the back of my head mm-hmm. that will rarely come up when. I'm very, very weak. Yeah. So if, you know, I don't have access to my family, if something has happened with my business, if something has happened with a friend, if I don't have access to my partner, if I don't have access to a friend, if, if I feel like what I'm feeling is so heavy that I can't even articulate it to anyone and I'm just, it's just me and it could be another spiritual fucking or it could be something mm-hmm. that I'm experiencing that is so heavy I don't even know how to articulate it that's when it will come up and that's when it will sort of it will just it won't even push me or question me it'll just nudge me subtly for me to know that it's there Mm -hmm. like it's like oh you're thinking about running a bath and going to the beach and meditating and writing but I'm also here too Mm-hmm. So it's like that. It's very subtle and gentle. It's like a, okay, these are your options. I'm here as well. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and and you consciously choose to ignore that voice and to do yes. what you know is going to impact you positively. Yes, because doing that, that is a reflection of me not loving myself. Yeah. So now, majority of the time, before I do something or before I think something or before I engage in a behavior or circumstance or with another human i think is this coming from a place of love or alignment Mm -hmm. and if it's not i can't engage in it i think from like what you've told me that seems to be sort of like the the key i suppose that seems to be what links everything together is that to stop these um, addictive cycles you basically stop running from yourself Yes. You sat with the uncomfortableness of who you were at that present moment. Yeah. And kind of thought, fuck it, that's not who I want to be anymore. How do I how do I be who I want to be, who I was born to be? Yeah. Yeah, so I think a lot of these behaviours, yeah, is reflective of us running from ourselves mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I stopped and just sat with the sh- with shameful memories and shameful things that had happened to me or shameful things that I had thought or done to myself and just sat with it and felt it mm-hmm. and just accepted it and been okay with it and I just stopped running and I just sat with it. That's when I was able to realise that everything that I had experienced – I didn't have to run from it. Mm -hmm. I just had to integrate it into who I am now and just acknowledge it and acknowledge the fact that it doesn't impact my worth. Yeah. And that everything that I've experienced and that I've gone through or done or whatever's happened is not a reflection of my worth. Yeah. And that at any point in time, you can literally wake up and change who you want to be. Yeah, you can rewrite your story. Yeah, I'll give you an example of recent one. So this was probably maybe six weeks ago now. So my partner's FIFO and he works away and he gets up quite early. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to him and my old roommate, um, I'm going to start doing more graphic stuff and I want to start planning this podcast and I want to start 
are doing more on the growth and development corporate stuff. And I said, I'm going to get up at 5.30 every morning (laughs) and I'm going to come out into my office. I'm going to do an hour of something, whether it's an hour of watching a tutorial on what I need for a podcast or an hour of watching something on YouTube or it could be I'm going to spend an hour on Canva creating like a graphic for my business, whatever it may be. And my housemate and Josh both laughed at me and they were like, whatever, like, you know, you don't have your first client until 9.30 or 10 o'clock. You roll out of bed at 8am every morning. Like, cause I am a very grounded, calm, chill person now. And I just, I have my morning routine. I just get up, you know, I would make breakfast, mm-hmm. walk the dogs, meditate, start my day. And they just were like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Like, that's not who you are anymore. Like, that was who I was a year ago when I was hustling and working, but then I'd transitioned into this zen, I'm going to sleep more and do that. And Tiana was like, you haven't woken up that early in, like, ever. Like, this, you know, last, you know, six or so months or whatever. And anyway, lo and behold, next day, my alarm went off at 5.30, I got up, I messaged my partner. I was like, hey, I'm awake. I'm up, bitches. I'm up, bitches. And he was like, um, what? And I was like, yep, um, I'll talk to you in an hour. <laughs> anyway, so that was day one. And then I did it again on day two. And then I did it again on day three. Mm-hmm. And then I did it again on day four. And now it's been six weeks or whatever. And now, naturally, I'm just getting up at that time. Yeah. Even if I'm not coming out here to do work, I'll get up at that time. I might vacuum or I, like this morning I came out here and meditated yeah. and then vacuumed, cleaned my room, took the dogs for a walk. Yeah. So it's like... You changed your story in that way. I changed it. I was like, no, no, like, yeah. no, I am. I, I can do that. Yeah. And I think the key is to, when you make the conscious decision to do that, don't fucking hesitate. Yeah. So when my alarm went off, in that on that morning if I hesitated for more than say 10 seconds I know I wouldn't get up yeah you the, just can't even allow yourself nope to you just can't even think about it you don't even think about it do not even engage in the fucking conversation with yourself yeah the alarm goes off you just get up yeah that's it I can relate because I mean you know I used to talk about like I'm just not a morning person like I was yes. always like oh my god I could like hardly drag myself out of bed now same as you I'm up at like five i'm at the gym by 5 30 i yep. walk the dogs and that's yep. how i get my day started like yep. you've got to you can't have that argument with yourself yeah and you've kind of got to find something that's worth doing it for so like yeah. for me i found now that i don't start work until later i can get up and train and walk the dogs in the morning and that for me is like that's something i look forward to doing every morning so i want to get out of bed and do that yeah and i guess you can relate it back to like addiction by or like when you quit smoking yeah i remember you saying to me like i want to improve my my cardiovascular fitness yeah like like my running's been shit yeah because i can't breathe i can't do step ups yeah yeah so like that was your motivation for sort of you know quitting smoking you wanted to improve improve your lung capacity i suppose yeah yeah and i think that if you aren't clear on who you want to be i don't mean what you want to do i mean who you want to be yeah so if you aren't clear on who you want to be and how you want your life to look and why 
you're never going to change. Yeah. And like, this isn't just a thought you have in your head as a once off. Like no. for me anyway, like you should see my phone. It's full of these notes of what I want yeah. to achieve in my life and who yeah. I want to be and how I'm going to do them. Like what habits do I need to put into place to get me from A to B? Yeah. Yeah. And see, like you and that, with journaling see, and things. Yeah. Well, see that would work for you, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I have a notebook and after I meditate, any message that comes to me, I jot it down mm-hmm. and I quite often flick back over these notebooks just to read these messages from spirit or whatever. But when I meditate, I will sometimes have phrases that I say to myself, but even during the day, I will say certain things to myself. Like it's very rare that I will say to myself, oh, no, that won't work or no, that won't work. Mm. I either just do it, think nothing, or I just think, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. Like I can do that. So I think everyone's different and what works for everyone is different, but I have found just being more mindful of what I'm saying to myself in my head that – has been quite profound and give and letting less external noise in. Mm-hmm. So if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're saying something that maybe I don't agree with and it's to do with my body or my training or what I think or feel, I don't have to absorb that. So I think being mindful of just not letting external noise in and just being really clear on your story. Mm-hmm. Like something that I'll just repeat to myself all the time is that I have goddess energy. I have glowing health. Mm. I'm the most profound growth and development consultant in the fucking country. Do you like have affirmations that you say to yourself every day? No, I don't have the same affirmations that I say to myself every day, but I know who I want to be. And you just reinforce that. And I reinforce that. Yeah. So like I know I want to have goddess energy. I know that I want to have glowing health. I know that I want to be the most profound growth and development consultant in the country. I know I want to be the best public speaker. So these are things that I will constantly say to myself, even sometimes when I'm driving, if I'm listening to music, sometimes I'll just repeat to myself, most profound growth and development consultant, mm-hmm. glowing health, goddess energy. Like mm-hmm. I'm mindful of just randomly filling my mind with that sort of shit. Um, yeah. Like I can't really remember the last time I had a thought where I looked at myself and was like, fuck, that's disgusting. Or like, that's gross. Or yeah. you can't do that. It's never that. Like it's either this is who I want to be. This is how I am. Or it's like neutral, no response. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm all about, positivity but not to the point where it's ridiculous if that makes sense so affirm who you want to be and affirm the energy and the frequency you want to be at but don't be ridiculous like you know i want to be kendall jenner i want to be you know <laughs> yeah, you can't just repeat that in the mirror three times no every day and you become kendall yeah jenner. no like what what is it like that she is that you want um yeah. she's successful okay you need to exude success. I am success. Yeah. I am success. But you need to couple that with purposeful action. Mm-hmm. And it only has to be one. It only has to be one. So, like, you know, if I want to get a gig with doing workshops at primary schools, all I need to do is call one school. I need to just yeah. call one school. And that's putting me in that direction. If they say no, then, okay, I'll call another one. Yeah. And another one. And another one. All it takes is one little thing for you to do every day 
that gets you a little bit close. Like sitting and doing this, like sitting and doing a podcast, that's getting me one step closer to aligning with my ultimate purpose, which is talking more about mental health and using my story to share truth and help bleed that out and impact the world. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure your inbox is, like, full of TED Talk requests by now. Oh, fuck, I wish. (laughs) Oh, my God, I wish. See, that's the ultimate. I just want to be on a TED Talk. Like, But, like, this could be step one. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mel Robbins, one of the most highly booked female motivational speaker in the world – Mel Robbins, five-second rule, that's what she created. She's Mm -hmm. incredible. She started with just talking in front of, like, five people. Mm -hmm. And then she would talk in church groups. And then she talked in bigger, larger groups. Then she did a TED Talk. Then she spoke in a room of 3,000 people. Now she's on, you know what I mean? And it just... And I don't know much about, like, her beginnings, but I'm assuming, like, she would have changed her story too. Like she, did. she she wasn't born being no a fucking public speaker. No, and she went through a period of bankruptcy with her husband, yeah. lost a lot of money. And yeah. so like I guess we can sort of I know that her like the five second rule, that's where you literally you count down yeah. from. Don't five hesitate, and then just, you just go. Do, yeah. Which is kind of what we've been saying with you know, with getting out of bed, with stopping smoking, just yeah. like anything. Make that conscious decision and fucking go for it. <laughs> It's like, I will say though, it's not easy. Like I know that we're being quite clear and succinct and articulate and articulate with these concepts, but that doesn't discount the fact that it's fucking hard. Mm. Cause you've got to work at it every day. It's not every just, day. It's not just a one-off decision no. where you're like, okay, that's it. Like nah. now I don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Um, yeah. I'm a fucking goddess. Like, yeah, I'm a fucking goddess. I know who I am. Work where I'm at that every it's day. fucking hard and it's uncomfortable because sometimes you, when you realize really clearly who you want to be, mm. there's a point where yeah. you feel overwhelmed when you realize, fuck, I've got a long I've way got to go. A lot of work to do. Oh, man. If I, like, I said this to my mum the other day. If someone said to me 10 years ago that, or even five or six years ago, that I would be living independently by myself and that I would be running a business. Surrounded by plants. Surrounded by (laughs) plants, like starting a podcast with a friend, have clients, be living by the beach, loving my fucking life and not bulimic and not a drug addict and fucking love myself. I would be like, you're fucking cooked. Yeah. It's... you are going to feel overwhelmed because you're going to realize, holy shit, that's where I want to be. This is where I am now. But just like what we were saying in a previous podcast, choose one thing. Yeah, choose one thing. And choose one thing to do. Yeah, one tiny little thing. Yeah. And it's scary and yeah. it's daunting. But just choose one thing and then do it consistently and be patient. And it is fucking hard. But you've just got to master your internal dialogue, challenge those self-limiting beliefs, and don't be afraid to just... Take a look at all the shadowy parts of yourself that you know you need to look at. Yeah. 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 Done. Addiction Done. solved. Addiction solved. We're just solving social <laughs> issues, one podcast <laughs> after the other. Like, we know Ted Talk, where easy. are you? <laughs> we know it's not that easy. No, like, we disclaimer. Know. Disclaimer. We know this. But, like, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Be consistent and you got to work at it every day. Every day. But I think um, we will do, I will do another podcast episode that goes into a little bit more depth about internal dialogue as a strategy Mm -hmm. um, and how important 
it is to change that and the impact that it has on multiple parts of your life. So going into more depth about your internal dialogue. So we'll go into that soon as well. But anyway, guys, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you at the next one. Give us a subscribe. Bye. Bye.